Hello, everybody. Welcome to your favorite Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I am your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about <laughs> a, a couple of uh, various Spider-Man comics uh, where he's just had some, like, random appearances. Uh, I think they're from 1982, Mike? Yeah, around there. Yep, yeah, 1982. You're okay. right. So, yeah, there's some uh, <laughs> some interesting stories in, this one, in these ones, but... Just... To say the least. Yeah. Uh, and we decided to bring in some special guests this week. Once again, special guest number one. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself again, uh, G.I. Jolie? Hi, um, <laughs> it's G.I. Jolie. I'm the co-producer of the Comic Book Syndicate. And I'm here again to talk about comics, specifically. That's right. Comics. And because uh, two of this week's picks were written by Chris Claremont, we decided to bring in the world's biggest Chris Claremont fan. Do you want to introduce yourself, special guest number two? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that kind of an intro, but uh, thank you very much. This is Chad uh, for the first time, I think. I hope. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, the reason uh, that your name came up is because... We recently reviewed the Dark Phoenix Saga, the universally acclaimed benchmark of 80s, you know, superhero comics. And I didn't really like it as much as I did when I was a kid. And I know that you definitely didn't like it as much as you did when you were a kid, correct? Yeah, but I'd only ever okay. read it as an adult. Okay, okay, that could be part of it. But um, we, we posted that review on a few Facebook pages and we got a lot of hateful remarks. <laughs> Um, to say the least, this is such a great intro, right? But it's okay. We're being honest, right? And you know, yeah. it's all about That's what matters. Uh, exactly. And so, anyway, so this this particular comic, uh, Marvel Fan Affair Number One. That's our first pick for this week, and this was a, a, originally commissioned as an issue of Marvel Team Up. But then I think what happened was it took Marvel, or uh, sorry, it took the artist Michael Golden so long to finish the story that. I believe what happened was the, the, the characters were now out of continuity, like it was so out of sync with everything else. They're like, why don't we just make a special project out of this? And then they made number three drawn by another artist, Dave Cockrum, and number four was drawn by Paul Smith. So it became this really big way to introduce this new comic Marvel fanfare, which at the time had the highest quality paper on the, on the stands at the time. It was also the most expensive comic book at the time, and it was only sold in comic book shops. So this was the big initial story that they used to launch this project. And uh, it's always been kind of a holy grail for me. And I think this is the second time I've read these first two issues. And I've always had mixed feelings about it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just going to say quickly, I also have mixed feelings about Chris Claremont. I do love him, but I have mixed feelings about him. That's all I'll say. Uh, Chris Claremont's obviously known as the writer of uh, X-Men for, I believe, 17 years straight. And Michael Golden, the artist, it's mostly famous for doing Micronauts and uh, the Wars, Nam. Star Wars, right? Uh, he did one issue of Star Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was it. But um, he's mostly known for covers. Um, and he's also one of the most influential artists of the 70s because people like Art Adams and Todd McFarlane all were sort of influenced by him. And so he definitely left a huge mark, even though he's only done a few comics. So this particular story, uh, I believe we mentioned this before we started recording. It starts out really good, and then it kind of takes a weird turn. But basically what happens is... Uh, okay, let's see if I can summarize this. Is Basically, <laughs> we, have, we have the ex-girlfriend 
of Carl Lykos. Carl Lykos is so Soren, who, for those that don't know, is kind of a half man, half Pteranodon, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the ex-girlfriend of Soren tries to get Angel, the ex, the former X-Men Angel, and his girlfriend Candy Southern, to help him um, track down Soren and kind of figure out what's been going on with him in the Savage Land. And then, I don't remember how this goes public, but J. Jonah Jameson finds out about it. Do you remember, Josh? No, I don't even think that they really say why it goes public. I, I can't remember. Okay. Okay, but anyway, so Peter Parker <laughs> ends up, yeah, going along for this mission with them to the Savage Land. Again, for those that don't know, the Savage Land is a mystical land in uh, the Marvel Universe where time kind of uh, has stood still for millions of years and there's dinosaurs and cool monsters and humans all cohabitating and Kazar the Savage is the superhero that kind of lives there. He's kind of like a Tarzan ripoff. And so basically they take this helicopter ride into the Savage Land to, to kind of find out what's going on. When they get there, they come upon, um, what is this thing called? Uh, like geez. a Pteranodon? No, 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 no. They come upon this abandoned city. Oh, okay. Yeah. They I just don't call it the called. Citadel. Um, erected the in memory or in tribute to Magneto. Right, right. Okay, so this is all going back. We're refer referencing old X-Men uh, comics. So basically, the first thing that happens is they get attacked by these uh, Savage Land mutants. Or I always thought they were mutates, but I guess they're mutants. So they get into this big fisticuffs battle. And, uh, I mean... There's more to it than that, but basically what happens is they get into this big battle and then Spider-Man and Angel get captured and these mutants uh, have this gigantic device where they're going to de... I guess demutate them, right? De-evolve them. De-evolve them and mutate them yeah. all at the same time, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's confusing because I just watched an episode of Star Trek with the same plot, but anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so they, they de-evolve them. And number one, and then by the time we get to number two, like we, we don't see what happens to them quite yet, but when we jump to number two, we find out that, um, what's it called? Uh, Angel has been turned into, wait, what is Angel again? He's yeah, like he's a giant, like, a, like hawk, human. Like a, yeah, like a, like a man bird. Like he has feathers like a, and claws. Right, like a harpy he's a humanoid. Right, right, there you go. And Spider-Man has been turned into a gigantic spider. So of course, there's fighting, fighting, and more fighting. And then, uh, then, then they, the mutants try to turn the device onto, um, what's the girl's name again, the blonde? Tanya. Tanya, yeah, they try to turn it onto Tanya, but she's rescued at the last minute by, uh, what's his name, um, Sauron getting the idea to use his vampire-like powers to suck the energy out of, uh, <laughs> I can hear laughing in the background. Uh, suck energy out of out of her so that she is not de-evolved right. and then basically he kind of rescues her does the same then, thing with spider-man and, and right. angel as well uh, right and then that's pretty much it and then he turns into sauron and then he takes off so he was trying to use his powers without turning into sauron but of course he did turn into sauron right then he takes off and then basically peter parker is all back to normal so he gets on um a uh, helicopter and takes off and then that story ends and then it does continue next issue with the uncanny x-men but we did not read that issue so we're just going to talk about marvel fanfare number one and two and uh, i'd like to start off with our special 
uh, guest uh, Chad this week. Chad, just the story. Tell us, what did you think of the script? Oh, uh, mm. <laughs> so the script. <sighs> okay, so like, what I I have notes. I took notes, and I, there are three layers to this. Like okay. the I, there are things about the story, about like the A to B to C to D that I don't like. There's a okay. lot I don't like. I just get I got bored. I got bored because one, I feel like I've read the story a million times. Now, if you zoom out a little bit, there are things that I kind of really liked. Like um, I, I know that you introduced me as a person that doesn't like Chris Claremont, but I actually have some good things to say about him. Because he he's adept at just getting right to the action, or at least mm-hmm. like uh, getting rid of. Uh, the, <laughs> I was gonna say he gets rid of exposition, but as no, yeah, he quite, does. He, yeah. there's plenty of it. But like uh, the scenes, he sets up a scene very well. Now, if you zoom out even more. I don't know why I'm reading this. It is just <laughs> resetting the pieces. Like, who cares how Carl uh, Lycos goes from being a sci- like a dude in a loincloth back to a dinosaur? Why? Nobody cares. Like, this tiny woman, <laughs> yeah, she's his girlfriend, but, like, she's also his sister? We'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. But, like... Uh, like nobody cares about um, this little anecdote about Peter Parker and Warren Worthington go to the jungle and turn a scientist into a dinosaur. Like no, nobody cares. We can just go and read about the X-Men fighting the dinosaur man. Like that's the whole point. We don't need all this setup. We don't know. We don't need to learn about Tanya. We don't need to learn about the mutates and the mutants. Uh, we don't need to learn about the Citadel. We don't need any of that. But that's like that's way out here. That's like zoomed out. Now, like if you want to talk about the part that I do like, um, uh, like you learn about who Tanya is as she talks to Candy Southern and Warren Worthington about her problem. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't learn about her past until she tells you about her past. I like that the story just leaps into her asking for um, Angel's help. And then it like goes from there. It's like that scene and then boom, we move into the next scene with uh, Spider-Man and then boom, they're all together on the plane and then boom, they're all on the ground because the plane blows Mm -hmm. up. Um, I like that. It's like, it's the sequence of scenes I like. I like that Chris Claremont has enough cinematic um, instinct to do that. Mm. But then when you get to the actual A to B to C of like the the giant captions, the unnecessary mm-hmm. paragraphs of text. I get bored again. Uh-huh. That was a lot. I'm sorry, yeah. everybody. You know, <laughs> if I were to say, if this was like a movie, this is like a great way to set up a mission. Yes. Like, you got to go here. You yeah. got to do this. You got to do that. Perfect. But then once they get there, I really feel like it goes off the yeah, rails. Absolutely. Uh, and, but I did enjoy a lot of the, a lot of Chris, Chris Claremont's prose, you know, I mean, he, he has a background, he's written some novels for sure. So it's kind of written in an older, more text heavy style. So I did like that. Um, G.I. Julie, what did you think about the script? Well, that's the thing is that I have a very, one very, uh, 
relevant note to that point is I wrote this down. Claremont text is overly descriptive to the point where you question his trust in the artist. And maybe it isn't so much uh, his distrust of the artist to tell the story that he's trying to tell. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But um, maybe that's his own like his own fallacy where he's an author where he's a prose author and that's what he's used to and um it just unfortunately it doesn't work with uh mm-hmm. with comics there ha- there has to be just a balance and there isn't really a balance so not only is his are his characters thoughts as descriptive as um sort of like the narrative panels um their dialogue is just as descriptive as well so every every a b c equals d is all very heavy-handed like chad said and it's it is like it is like reading a novel and i've i i zoomed myself all the way out and i said one i don't care about this but two i maybe i would if i was just reading a novel like i would really find enjoyment in it if i was reading a novel Mm-hmm. <sighs> Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that the setup uh, was really strong, and I think that mm-hmm. this story has really good bones, but there's just so much like stacked up on top of it that it you have to like sift through so much shit to kind of get to like the good <laughs> stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. the the premise is kind of cool, but th- there's just so much extra things going on. Um, I, I really love the setup with. Um, her going and meeting Angel and like the like uh, Chad was saying the the backstory and her like finding out who she is is not boring because we don't have to stop to explain who she is before jumping into the story we learn along the way Um, the beginning almost Mm -hmm. felt kind of like the beginning of uh, like an an Indiana Jones story where like we kind of have like this this plot where they have to go find this person in this mystical land she goes and she she finds the person she needs they kind of like get going on the story you get a little bit of the plot and like what this land is about and this information and and then the adventure starts like right right after that and you're thrown right into it and uh being thrown into the action is really good not having to like sit down and describe everything that's going on and and i think that after they they hit the pteranodon with the helicopter that's really when things start to fall apart for me um when they they start having to like over explain everything and like not really understanding what's going on in the action sometimes too with things just kind of happening um uh, especially with like uh when when angel and spider-man are being like hypnotized by i can't remember her name but there so like there again there are some really sorry was that oh vertigo vertigo um so yeah again there there's some really like interesting fun stuff buried in this but i feel like it's just so jumbled up with with so much dialogue so i've got something to say can i just quick all right all right josh i know we just met but i gotta push back on the idea that there's good bones here okay (laughs) um i mean i know that i touched on this earlier but like this so the whole story like, it doesn't feel like a Spider-Man story. It feels like an X-Men story, mostly because Chris Claremont wrote it. But we don't... Mm-hmm. Like, it, it exists, but we don't need it. No one needs this kind of a story. The only people that would need this story are the people that 
follow like footnotes. You know what I mean? Like, right. So <laughs> Carl Lycos is a man again, and he's living in the Savage Land wearing a loincloth. Like, no one cares except Chris Believe Claremont it. and like the dudes that follow <laughs> indexes. Like, right. Like, can I point out one thing? Yeah, though? hit me. This is. Is I've never liked the Savage Land being mixed in with the X Men, okay? And then I found out years later. Oh wait a minute! The Savage Land was introduced in X Men. It's actually oh, yeah, an X-Men from like idea, the sixties, right? Like that yeah, was their first adventure. Realize, well, one of the yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. And then I also found out that when Neil Adams, uh, when he did his big run on X Men, which was only five or ten issues, he had the Savage Land and Sauron and Kazar in there. Then when John Byrne did X-Men, he had the Savage Land and Sauron and Kazar. Then when Jim Lee did the X-Men, he did the same thing. So it's almost like become this tradition where they're just so tied into X-Men that I know you say that nobody cares about Sauron. <laughs> I don't really care about him. But I think hardcore X-Men fans love Sauron the way that like Doctor Who fans, they just expect the Cyberman to come back every season. Okay, right? that's very fair. So it's kind of like, I yeah. will I think... say that nothing ever changes. Like it's yes. maybe it's the land that time forgot wherein they go back every time the X-Men have changed, but the Savage Land has not changed. Let, let me throw this at you, yeah. too. I, I think what I mean by there's good bones, like I think that there are some good story ideas going on here. But at, at the end of the day, nothing changes at the, in this comic. If it's going to to focus on Sauron or however you pronounce it, Sauron, Sauron, uh, if it's going to Sauron, if it's going to, <laughs> to focus on uh, on him, we want something to change with him at the end of the day. Right. Like nothing like after these two issues everything's kind of in the same exact spot as it was before. Oh, no, no, no. So, the only right, thing so like, that has changed is that Sauron has gone from a man back to his dinosaur dangerous shape. Which like, we already the, thought he was in, right? Right, so exactly. It, so why waste why two work? pages? And you just got done saying that Marvel fanfare is uh, mm-hmm. more expensive, harder to get. Mm-hmm. Like, Agreed. You know, like, what's the point of this? Except for dudes that want to fill out their collection. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait. Okay, we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I just want to talk briefly. We're going to talk about this completely separately for a minute. Let's talk about the art without saying anything. Um, uh, I want to know, Chad, your impression of this artist. Are you familiar with Michael Gold? No, not at all. Really? Yeah. Okay. So what is your first impression of this art? Okay, so you're going to make fun of me, but I thought it was like John Burney. Burn. John Byrne. Yeah. John Byrne. Yeah, I can never say it right, and it doesn't matter because we read the name. We don't say the name. Um, <laughs> I thought it was very, like, the musculature on everybody. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm just used to, I'm just going to call him John. That's easier for everybody, right? John okay, draws yeah, sure. Angel a lot. I think he was probably one of his favorite not, like, supporting X-Men characters. And mm-hmm. uh, this double-page spread reminded me a lot of John's art in that. Um, I know that you just got done saying that this Michael Golden guy was influential, but I don't see much that's influential here. It looks a lot like art of the time. Um, or at least like 80s artwork. Well, that's the key. Yeah. It, it, it was not It was not like art of the time, but by the time 80s, the late 80s came around, this is what art looked like. But okay. I'm going to argue it's a lot because of him and again, Art Adams yeah, and yeah, Tom yeah. Farland, but he was kind of the first one. Okay. But um, 
But yeah, okay, so Jolie, I don't think we... Uh, Jolie and I have met Michael Golden, but I don't think we've really talked about his art on any of these podcasts. What do you think of this art, Jolie? Um, you know, it's art. It's yeah. not, like, revolutionary by any means. Um, it, to me, I, I kind of look at art in the context of its history and in the history or pantheon of art. And it's... For somebody whose name I see a lot at conventions, um, it's underwhelming. It's it's not as spectacular as I expected it to be, but I mean, that could just be this issue. I'm not sure. Like, I'm just flipping really quickly through um, the f- issue number one, and I'm on the page where it's Spider-Man. Um, I think it's page digital page 14. This is horrible. The anatomy is yes. um, terrible is not a terrible enough word it's, to describe how bad, how monumentally bad this art is. Here's the thing, uh, Joshua, I'll get to you in a second. Sure, I'll just yeah. say that Mike Dell and I covered a Michael Golden Batman comic on Fumeric Fantasy. And he did say that he appreciated some of his design techniques and all that stuff. But we both agreed that in his early career, his anatomy was terrible. And you're right. This Spider-Man is completely bass-ackwards wrong. But Josh, go ahead. No, I, I completely agree with, with everyone, um, especially with the anatomy. I, I, I think that the art works for the issue. Um, I think that his style kind of fits with the Savage Land uh, feel. But it, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit very well with Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man has never been, like, this gigantic jacked dude. Mm-hmm. And in every single panel, he's just huge. Like, it's it's so uncharacteristically, unchar- like, Spider-Man, it's, it's weird. Like, he, his mm-hmm. muscles are so defined and, like, bubbly and huge that it doesn't look like he'd even put his arms down. Mm-hmm. In some page, like the the first splash page, um, it, which page? The the first page of um, the first oh, like uh, page issue one. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like there there's so many lines and defined muscles that don't look like real muscles in mm-hmm. Spider-Man alone. Like like just under his like his like arm. And like on like under his pecs, there's so many just like drawn bubbles, mm-hmm. and that it just looks. Well, even I, I don't if, know. even if you if you move down towards like the pelvic region as well, and then mm-hmm. out towards the thighs, and um, uh, it's just it's not it's not right. No, and then even no. later on when when he <laughs> when Spider Man is like attached to the board like he, he's restrained his wrist mm-hmm. and like forearm are huge they're like the size of his head mm-hmm. if you go down to uh i don't, I don't have the I digital that, pages yeah. now but yeah when he's restrained like his arms mm-hmm. are just gigantic and like his forearms are so short too like it doesn't look like he has a wrist yeah, I'll agree with that. But here's the thing: mm-hmm. is uh, if you if you want to go right back to the splash page, yeah, uh, that we were just talking about, um, I just want to point out the texture on Angel's wings and the texture on the rocks behind them, and just the general layout of the page. I really like that. And mm-hmm. then if you flip to the next page, the double page spread, I really love this panel composition of 
being inside the helicopter, then seeing the helicopter over top of the house, and then cutting down to a different angle looking back, and then cutting down to another angle. And if you look at every single panel, it's from a completely different um, position. Even on the bottom with Angel flying with the eagles kind of beside him. Mm -hmm. And then cutting inside to them sitting talking to each, to each other. I think that's why I like him so much. And then you cut to the next page and there's this great design of um, Tanya or Tanya reading and it kind of just blends in with the other panels like that. Mm -hmm. I don't it's know. It's very I cinematic. Think, yeah. No, those are my right. two favorite yeah. pages. Like I could yeah. talk right, about right. just these two. Well, okay. So you asked me to talk about one specific page and the one where Tanya is telling her backstory uh, in right. all like the colors, mm -hmm. the bad colors. Mm -hmm. um, I that was the page I was going to talk about because of the composition factor. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the the texture on the wings and the musculature and the terrain uh, all feel a lot more contemporary, like almost 90s ish. Uh, and not even mm -hmm. though that I kind of was like, oh, it's from 82. But like, you're right. Uh, I'm looking at a page that feels like it should be X-Force. You know what I mean? From 91. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean... It just again, comes down yeah. to it. Like, some artists are just not good at everything. He happens to excel particularly in, like, landscapes and architecture and in composition as far as, like, page design yeah. uh, and layout. But, you know what? Sometimes he just falls short on um, the human figure and anatomy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I feel like his style fits so well with the, like, a Savage Land type of story because it is very, like... Uh, natural and, and like you, you can bring in a lot of textures and it feels right in the story. And well, even, it's like a, even it's like a the, Conan terrain, right? Right. So you exactly. have like right, a Frank right. Frazetta. Help me with that one. For, uh, Frank yeah. Frazetta. Is that <laughs> how you say it? Yeah, Frazetta. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. Like hyper musculature, these lines that go on and on, textures on top of textures, and just like a real kind of bloody color palette. Uh, mm -hmm. It makes sense. And it just doesn't make any sense with Spider-Man and Angel. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny because he had, I think he did one more Spider-Man story after this, which we will get to in a later episode, but um, he actually ended up inventing the spaghetti wedding or spaghetti webbing that Todd McFarlane used. And you, his style changes a lot by that point. So I'm looking forward to reviewing that one as well. But anyway, so let's just put it this way, uh, Josh, compared to an average issue of Marvel Team-Up, how does this issue stand up? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, wow. it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, for any yeah. flaws it has, it was night and day compared to an issue of Marvel Team-Up. Like, mm -hmm. this felt like a movie, and Marvel Team-Up felt like, feels like, I don't even know what it feels like, like, Saved by the Bell, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I guess, yeah, Julie, you've been reading Marvel Team Up. How do you compare this to an average issue of Marvel Team Up? Yeah, in comparison, it, it is. It's like a 10 out of 10 in comparison. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's only if that's what you're doing. Uh, if it was a standalone um, on a scale of one to unnecessary, I would make it. It's like super unnecessary. Its existence is questionable. Why would you spend this type of money on writing, artists, paper, distribution, marketing the way you, that you did? Like, it's... 
I can understand it for Spider-Man. I can understand having Mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to take Mm Spider-Man and we're going to pretend he's Conan in the Savage Land. Like, I can get the concept (laughs) there. But like, you pair him up with Angel? Is that the only way to get him there? Is it's just weird to me? Probably. Well, you know, you know what the hilarious thing is is now that I, if you remember in this story, Peter Parker when he's talking to J. Jonah Jameson, he references. He's like, "Hey, well, why? Just because I've been to the Savage Land before?" Well, what he's referring to are issues of Amazing Spider-Man one hundred three and one hundred four, which was basically one of the first stories written after Stan Lee left. They were done by Roy Thomas. And Stanley hated Spider-Man and the Savage Land so much, he fired Roy Thomas, came back to Spider-Man just to fix the title, to get him back into New York and, you know, going to high school or college and, you know, fighting with J. Jonah Jameson and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it's clear Peter Parker does not belong in this milieu, I guess you could say. I definitely agree with that. The other funny thing about this is that Chris Claremont also teamed up with Michael Golden for... um, the famous Avengers annual number 10 that introduced Rogue. And I've read that issue and I've read these two issues a bunch of times and no matter how many times I read them, I can never remember what the hell happened. You know? It's like, I don't know what it is. Like, I think Chris Claremont's a good writer. I think Michael Golden's a good good artist, but it's like they don't have synergy or something. They're like the opposite of Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. You know, it's like they don't, I'm sure that they like each other, but their work does not fit together. Right. That's my... I think at the end of the day, the reason why these ones aren't memorable, these two issues aren't memorable, and why I probably won't recommend them, is because (laughs) nothing... Things happen, but they don't mean anything at the end of the day. Right. And and nothing really sticks with you. So, in the moment, there's there's definitely some really cool things and, um, like, small details that will stick with me, but this story won't. So I definitely would recommend this to read as a study, but don't read it for entertainment. Uh, Judge Jolie, what about you? Do you recommend this? Um. Mm, okay. Yes, because it is the seminal first issue. Uh, I recommend reading the first issue to see what all the hubbub is about. But uh, don't worry about the second fanfare because it doesn't really get any better um just know that it happened (laughs) and move on all right chad what do you think would you recommend it oh (laughs) um no i i in theory i'm gonna echo everything jolie said because you're absolutely right uh you can see like what they were trying what they did right and what they did wrong but having read the story i think it would be far more interesting to have like a weird friendship with spider-man and an angel and they like make jokes back and forth about this crazy time they had in the savage land but we never read about it like they could make jokes about like oh remember that time i was a spider and you turned into a bird Woo! you know like and everybody around them is just like what are you talking about they're like you wouldn't get it, um, right? Like a total like make it an inside joke because we didn't need the story. You could just very mm-hmm. quickly make like a caption that said um, a story that was never told uh, and how Sauron became. I just keep making fun of that name. Um, uh, became the dinosaur again because, like I just said, nobody needs the the minutia of how he did this and did this and did this. We just needed to know that something happened and now he's. 
a dangerous dinosaur again. Mm-hmm. So will you go on to read Marvel Fanfare 3 and 4 to find out how the story ends? I think I... Mm. <laughs> Wait. Well, wait, Marvel Fanfare 3 and 4? I doesn't thought you it, said that... it happen in X-Men? Yeah, it goes on in X-Men. No, it happens it? in Marvel Fanfare, yeah. No, Marvel oh. Fanfare 3 features the X-Men, and Marvel Fanfare 4 features the X-Men. Oh. Yeah, it continues. Uh. Why? <laughs> well, are you going to read it? You um, find well, out. I mean, like, okay, so I don't... Oh, I have a lot of opinions about the X-Men. I know too much <laughs> about the X-Men. And I probably know... I pr- That's probably why I'm frustrated with this story. Because I feel like I already knew it, and you just made me read it. So, um... I I probably know what happens with the X-Men finding Sauron in the in the Savage Land and nothing happens because it's the Savage Land. Nothing happens. You know what? That should be their tagline for travel. Nothing happens in the Savage Land. <laughs> Come <Okay>. on over. <laughs> okay, folks, if you thought that was bad, now we're going to jump over to Marvel 2 and 1, number 90. Marvel 2 and 1 is a thing team-up comic. Uh, the Thing was very popular at the time. We've reviewed a few issues of The Thing, or sorry, of Marvel 2 and 1 on Quasar Chronology. Quasar, right. right. Unfortunately, those were written by Mark Granwell and Ralph Macchio. This one is not. Josh, please tell us what in Christ's name this comic is about. I, I, I don't know why I always get stuck <laughs> recapping the really crappy ones. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, okay, so we, we catch up with uh, Peter Parker and uh, Ben Grimm as they're at this... Um, uh, like a, 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 a fantasy festival or what are they called uh, a renaissance festival. renaissance festival thank you um, and this uh, magician who is there dressed up as a wizard he's kind of this failed <laughs> magician uh, he, he his body gets taken over by an actual wizard who is on the run from something uh, and uh, this wizard starts kind of uh, wreaking havoc and the thing and Spider-Man team up to defeat him uh, while also trying to save the guy that is possessed I mean that's pretty much it um, we get some more poor Deb Whitman abuse like <laughs> yes. I, I I was reading this I, I, was, I got really comfy I had some popcorn actually when I was uh, uh, reading this one and I sat down and I saw Deb walking with him like, oh no 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 no, yeah. and then and then and then one of the first things, uh, one of the first things things he does is ditches Deb, and I I'm pretty sure I screamed, what the hell, <laughs> like wh- why poor Deb, and I this was obviously this was before uh, her uh, her storyline was uh, poorly wrapped up, but it. It, it was not nice seeing Deb again, let me tell you. Well, there's even the, the bubble. Um, she's not really bad looking. She's really a sweet kid. But for some what? reason, I can't fall head over heels for her. The hell is it's because going you're a louse, on. Peter Parker. You're no good, <laughs> rotten louse. Oh. Um, so, obviously, oh my God, I don't know what to say with this. I, I, it was a struggle for me to mm. get through this. It was, it was one of the worst comics I think we've read on this podcast. Um, Chad, what did you think of it? <laughs> um, yeah, didn't have fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
first time I feel... I've met Deb Whitman, and I feel bad for her okay. that she yeah. is in a book like this, drawn like this, <laughs> and written like this, because you only really know Peter Parker has three girlfriends, and one of them is Black Cat, <laughs> and who is this blonde? Who knows? But he treats her like crap. Um, <laughs> yeah. I it mean, only gets worse from here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm poor girl, but I'm done with her. Uh, so, uh, I, I, character design, terrible. You're, we're supposed to fight a wizard who looks like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it. And then he animates monsters upon monsters upon monsters. They just keep getting more and more stupid and more and more ridiculous. Um, I, I, I don't know. And okay, so tell me, we, wait, do we talk about the art now or do we talk about the art later? You can go ahead, talk about okay, the art. Okay, so it looks like, and you can tell me that I'm wrong, but like it looks like uh, the Peter, the um, Spider-Man strips from the newspapers. Like yeah, the, the, the daily strips. Yeah, okay. like the line work and the heavy inks and just like the low quality of anatomy. Uh, <laughs> just it, it looked kind of, I don't know, for kids maybe. Or here's the thing, Alan Kupperberg, not not a very famous artist. No. Uh, he's done a few things that I recognize. I, I don't hate his art though. I've never no, hated it. No, it's clean. It's fine. It, it just yeah. it is dynamic. And who the hell decided to have a Renaissance fair? Like, wow. um, hello, New York. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, let's. You let's, telling let's me see. you wouldn't go to a pop up Renaissance, <laughs> Renaissance <laughs> festival if there wasn't one in the park? I would. Uh, I'd be there well, in a heartbeat. I, w- but I just want to come to Alan Kupperberg's defense. May he rest in peace. But, like, mm-hmm. he's an illustrator, right? So even though he wasn't, like, super renowned, uh, Chad had said that it was very strippy. Um, it looked like the strips. And, I mean, that's where that's where he made his money. He was a strip artist. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So uh, uh, while it isn't as detailed as some of the art that we're used to right. and the inking is very heavy in a comic strip kind of way that's just i think that's just his style and it's pretty st- I, w- I would say standard for lack of a better term to describe it yeah and like, i kind of like it yeah like I, I i've never disliked his art i've always thought that he was decent he, he's definitely not he doesn't stand out but uh he's actually drawn an issue of Amazing Spider-Man that Josh and I have reviewed. I don't remember which one it was, but it's listed in here. And he also did the issue of Marvel Team-Up with uh, Howard the Duck that we read. You remember that one, Josh? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Not a great issue, but his, his no. art, I think his art's fine. Um, and, and again, the inks on this issue are by Jim Mooney, who seems to be inking everything at this point. Right, and I feel like he, he's very good at adapting with what the artist has already drawn. Because his right. inks do feel very heavy here, but again, that's because it's it feels like a, a comic strip. Where when he is um, inking for John Romita Jr., it feels a little bit more subtle. Um, and then right. with um, uh, with some of the other artists with Marvel Team Up, he's kind of adapted with them and kind of uh, maybe elevated their art a little bit at times uh, when mm-hmm. when things aren't as readable or. Uh, well right. together but yeah I, I i really don't i don't mind the inking in this one right so uh julie you haven't talked about the story what do you think of the story in this one um i thought it was kind of fun uh, but Uh-oh. that's just Hello? because it's like 
Oh, sorry. Oh, I am. Yeah, I am muted on here, but not in the recording. So at least you'll have that. Anyway, um, I thought that it was kind of fun. Um, it is definitely strange, and it's it's like the plot of a Scooby Doo cartoon, yeah, but without yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. without right. the find without the finding out that well, no, you do find out that this possessed human is in fact a human and not a monster. Um, <coughs> I have a very poignant note that I know Chad will sympathize with: is that Peter Parker is Paxton Hall Yoshida, and will never. Never will I ever go to a pop-up Renaissance festival festival with that guy, yes. including Peter Parker. He's a piece of scum, and this book only makes me hate Peter Parker more. I don't know what it is. It's like uh, when his love life is shambles, and when they write about it, and then they include Deb, it's like they dig the hole a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I hear, yeah, I hear Josh groaning in like, just... anger. It just makes me so angry. And like, I don't know if that's you I heard shrieking, but it I was. feel like it was. <laughs> it was. Oh. It's yeah. just, I, I don't, I don't understand why they even created this character. Like, right. Like there, there's literally no reason for her to be any in, in any story she's ever been in. Like right. this poor character has been treated so bad and i it just my like oh my the the hairs on my like neck stand up every time i see her because i know that she's going to be mistreated and just like the story is going to be completely awful oh yeah and then you have like this and then you shoehorn the thing in there and his girlfriend at least they wrote it in a little bit better where um deb was talking about it she's like hey can we go to this exhibit later it's by an artist then, a blind artist but then we cut the but then we cut <laughs> to them and it's just peter talking to her and ignoring deb deb doesn't right. even get a chance to like step in and talk to her like it's just oh mm-hmm. oh yeah and and then alicia's like you know, I may be blind, but you're treating her like shit, boy. You better run after her. And Thank he goes, you. you know, yeah, you're right, Alicia. It was a pleasure talking to you, though. And then he runs after her, but only after having been told by a blind woman who, like, mm-hmm. that his girlfriend has left or his yeah. occasional date. Oh, those two words just boiled my blood when I read them. Occasional mm-hmm. date. Oh, anyway... Well, here's the other thing. Never mind that. As far as the actual plot with the magician and all that stuff, because someone said that it feels more like a kid's comic, right? And as I was flipping through it, if there was one third as much text on each page, I might have enjoyed reading it. You know, like, you know, you read like a kid's comic and there's always going to be less to read because it's focused at a younger audience. I could have accepted this story if there, like I said, if there was far less text, but every time I open a page, it's like, oh my God. Like if you go to digital page six, I look at this page and I'm like, oh God, I don't want to read it. Because I know it's not Alan Moore. I know I'm not, there's no payoff. I know it's just going to be all BS, purple prose and, and exposition and bad dialogue. So it just makes me not want to read it, you know? Oh, and yeah. I think that's the key issue. I, I think the basic story, even though it's idiotic, it could be enjoyable if it was just written more sparsely. Oh yeah, Julie? it could have been. It could be totally entertaining if it was like as you said, written sparsely. Um, I think it was when Josh was trying to recap what happened. Like the, the digital page six, 
there's so much text in there and nowhere right. do we find out why this Rumpelstiltskin like <sighs> character has our evil Asian wizard um, in a web like mm-hmm. we don't find that out but the there's like 75% of this shit's text like it just it doesn't make sense right and that I don't think it matters really for this type of story like I I don't want to know the backstory of this stupid freaking wizard right but, right. but there's so much like dialogue and text describing what's going on but there's no there's still no context and like actual like flavor or texture that's going on it's just nonsense right yeah, i think that's be... why i sorry go ahead oh no no sorry well here's here's the thing oh sorry go ahead josh i was just gonna say that i think that's why it, it for me it doesn't work at the end of the day because i'm all for like uh uh like a one-off like corny story with some fun mm. art like that's that's part of the appeal to comics for me is is some of those like more lighter uh lighter issues where <laughs> we don't need like like a dark heavy story every time some fun you know poppy stuff is fun it, it is great from time to time but it just doesn't flesh right here like nothing right. really works no synergy mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and not to mention the fact that um, when that wizard comes in and um, is just summoning monsters <clears throat> they leave a monster yeah. s- sticking out <laughs> of the center of the city and in a very cartoon like way they go well I'm glad that's over I'm glad your boyfriend's safe but now what are we supposed to do with that guy and, the- and then Spider-Man makes a very Spider-Man joke like I wonder if the Central Park Zoo is taking donations. Wah, wah. Like, I was just going to say, you might as well have that wah, wah, wah. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I, you know, okay, here's the thing. I feel guilty now, Chad, for... Uh, look, Making I never said it? these comics were good. Yeah, I, I never <laughs> said they were good. Um, but um, I hope you at least had fun reading these comics. Uh, do you... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you do not recommend Marvel 2-in-1 number 90. <laughs> oh, we're already at the end where we're recommending... Um, yeah. <laughs> what, I know you have to more to say. More? Well, I mean, there's, there's, like, there's a lot of ahead. little things that I think are kind of funny and stupid. And okay, like, go ahead, go well, ahead. Okay, yeah, sure. so I obviously lost interest with the story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like in the very beginning, we're we're getting to know people. Like, obviously, we talked about Deb Whitman. I never knew this woman, but apparently, she's a piece of whatever. <laughs> um, and Peter is obviously a douchebag. But okay, so now we uh, if he's supposed to be the damn hero of these stories, why do they go out of their way to show how terrible he is to the people in his life? Like mm-hmm. we don't know. We can't like, figure out this whole I realize thing. We that don't the patriarchy know. is a piece of shit and like men are like uh, <laughs> but like um he's supposed to be the gallant, right? And not the goofus. So why does he treat people terribly? And what message does Marvel and the writer of these stories really like tell these boys that are reading these, the, the the dialogue here thinking it's okay? Like, are you supposed to be head over heels with every girl you date? No, Peter, you shouldn't be at the Renaissance Festival with anybody except maybe some friends. Do you have friends, Peter? Do you have any friends at all? No, let's date a blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, I... I, I I completely agree with what you're saying, 100%. And and to answer your question, what happens with her at the end of the day is it's it's not a lesson for Peter to treat people right. 
it's that sometimes women are just crazy because it turns out that she has schizophrenia. <gasps> Seriously. Seriously. This is some bullshit. And, I don't need to hear just, anymore. They, yeah, because it, it really, it's, Deborah Whitman is probably the most consistent character over the past few, like in all the issues she's in, she's so consistent. She does not change. And it's Peter Parker that, that even like within one month changes issue to issue, like how he treats mm-hmm. Deb. And then still at the end of her story, just to write her off, they throw schizophrenia, schizophrenia at her and end it like there. It's, it's awful. Well, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's one good thing we forgot to mention. She disappears from Spider-Man for like 20 years. And then in like 2000 and so did Jeff Johns find her? No, 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 (laughs) (laughs) no. Peter David brought her back. Peter uh, David? Yeah. Okay, I'm in. Who I love, who I love. And she ends up writing a book called How Spider-Man Ruined My Life. <laughs> so she kind of gets it. Because remember, he reveals his identity in a Civil War. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yes. I did so not realize that that was a thing. That's, yep. I, you know, I'll buy Peter David a drink. There you go. <laughs> so we'll, we'll uh, you know, that's good to hear because Peter David is coming up in a maybe I don't know how long, but yeah, we're going to be getting to him later on in the year. So we'll probably have you back on when we have Peter <gasps> David writing, uh, just because. Like uh, X Factor. No, 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 Spider Man. Spider. He started out in Spider Man. Oh, okay, all right, sure. You didn't know no, that? No, I don't know anything. I just know X Factor because I was a wow. kid and I only collected things with X's on them. Okay. So the well, other thing, the the other part thing of... you guys wanted me to talk about things that I liked about this book. The only other thing that I thought yeah. this was kind of interesting. Sorry to run. I'm a steamroller over people. But okay, so like Alicia and Ben are walking into the the fair, right? And Ben is a sad yep. sack, and everybody knows he's a sad sack, and he's like he hates what he looks like, and he he just keeps talking about how everybody thinks he's a freak. And Alicia is just like, oh, everyone thinks you're fine. You're a hero. Blah blah blah. But, like, in the panels, everybody does look at him like he's a freak. Yeah. And like, the moms are hiding the children who would, like, look like they're vomiting. And he's just like, oh, Alicia, yeah. everybody thinks I'm terrible. And it's like, they kind of do, which is hilarious. Because we, we're supposed to think that Alicia is, like, wise and, and knows things. But, like, no, Ben's right. Everybody thinks he's gross. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not only... Are people reviled? But the woman is actually like, put him down. Right. You're gonna kill my baby. Yeah. yeah. Really? Wow, that's yeah. a jump. Yeah. He's I, gonna kill my baby. I don't think he helps his case any either because when he hands the kid back, he says, "Here, I think this thing belongs to you." <laughs> like, oh, uh, uh, yeah. it's funny. Well, maybe he hates kids like me. So, <laughs> honestly, if, so yeah, if the entire story was just the two of them, like going back and forth, like uh, running into people at this Renaissance fair, there was no wizard at all, and just being foolish and hateful, it would probably be more interesting. But as soon as we got to the <laughs> wizard, I was out because I thought I thought it looked dumb. I thought it was dumb. 
I don't know. Mm. I agree. I agree. I was just thinking that too. It's like you know, yeah, the first few pages are fine. If it would have just been them hanging out in the in the whatever this is, it would have been a lot better. Like a bottle then, episode where all they do is like go right. back and forth, meeting people and like being hum- right. humiliating themselves, humiliating other people. That would actually be a funny little like one-off issue. Yeah, yeah like, like or like uh, like. Go ahead, Julie. Running into other members of the Fantastic Four or other Avengers who might also be interested in like a medieval celebration. Right. And like something like Seinfeldian happens, like Peter loses his wallet. Like that's the whole plot. Right. And that's then he it. blames Deb or yeah. something. And yeah, so she yeah. has to like go through the sewer and like find yeah. his wallet. And by the time she comes back, Alicia's already gone. Right. Right. <laughs> there you go. We just rewrote it for you. For you view, viewers out there, this. you listeners. <laughs> well, well, we're definitely going to have you back on again, especially when we start doing Peter David uh, Spidey comics. Right. So hope you're uh, up for that. Sweet. Whew. Okay, We've so reached again, a portion I... of this episode where we all apologize to each other now for <laughs> yeah. making us read this journal. Yeah. That's how the Canadian is, we are. We started doing these, uh, these guest appearances just to spice things up, but... They've been very hit and miss. These are probably the worst of the bunch. Right. I will uh, say, maybe. though, it's it's a lot of fun talking about them. Oh, it's yeah. It's really fun talking about how bad they are. It's yes. just having to suffer through them before that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I like, definitely... I like Chad's the... level of spice, though, because <laughs> yeah. it brought about something that maybe we could explore later, which is just to rewrite the issues that we, you know, abhor completely. I think that's a good idea. That would be so fun. That's a, that's a, that's a, we should introduce that as a new feature. Yeah. But anyway, I'm ready. So yeah, what do you I, want me to rewrite? I definitely. Well, <laughs> all of it. I, you'll you'll find out in your next appearance. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I definitely want to thank Chad for joining us. Um, thank you. Like we said, we'll definitely have you on again. It's sorry, Eric couldn't join us, but um, I'm, I'm assuming he's in the room somewhere. Uh, I don't know where he is. Okay. He's my Deb Whitman. <laughs> okay. so yeah we'll definitely have you on again we want to thank gi julie for joining us again and uh if if you're if we if you haven't suffered enough we'll have you on again soon if not next week (laughs) and that's about it and josh you can take it from here yeah we also want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast as well uh it really helps us when you leave us a review on apple podcast or share a link to the show uh, if you leave us a comment or review on Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag HCTSpiderCast or mention us at HCTSpiderCast on Twitter, we'll make sure to send you a like and retweet and uh, 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 probably respond back to what, with what you're saying. Uh, so please get in touch with us because we want to keep the, uh, the conversation going because we want to know what you guys think about the podcast and the issues we're talking about. That's right. So every week we cover three to four issues of 80s Spider-Man comics in roughly chronological order. Next week we'll be back to our regular scheduled issues of amazing, spectacular Marvel team-up. So Mm -hmm. until next Monday, this has been Here Comes the Spider-Cast. All right. See you then. (laughs)